Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Look, all I'm saying is that you wore the dog suit, so therefore technically that makes you a furry. Tell me, was there a yiffing involved? The following podcast contains... A lot of screaming, profanity, explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you decided that a guy wearing a pervy trench coat and a giant dog head was going to be your crime-fighting mascot, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 326, taking a uh, bite out of McGruff edition of the show, where we talk about the canine crime fighter that stole our hearts, McGruff the Crime Dog. Stay tuned. Well, what the hell are you thinking? Podcast is brought to you by Bobby the Blobfish, who wants you kids to know that sex is slimy, gross. Bobby the Blobfish is the fresh new mascot that teaches Gen Z kids that sex before marriage is bad. He loses way out of the ocean and into their hearts with a healthy message of abstinence and purity. Created by the Christian advertising firm He Is Risen, Bobby the Blobfish costumes are available now for your convocation, along with training videos to teach your Bobby the Blobfish the right way to keep on keep the kids bopping to the blobfish instead of bopping each other. Bobby the Blobfish teaches kids that the wisdom of abstinence through cute songs and fun dances, all the while oozing a lifelike slime all over the room. The kids will love him. Bobby the Blobfish from He Is Risen, keeping kids pure since 2018. Uh, that's Jenny. But that's not Jenny's dad. If she gets into that car, you may be looking at Jenny for the last time. I'm McGruff, the crime dog. Let me show you something. See that playground? A lot of kids there. Every day in this country, 60 kids disappear. Some run away, but a lot are kidnapped by strangers or even by people they know. Almost 20,000 kids a year. 20,000 kids, one kid at a time. Maybe your kid on your street, just like Jenny. You know, your kids can learn to protect themselves against crime at home, at school, on the street. Very nice going, Jenny. She's going to tell her folks about this. And you can write them a gruff. Learn how to keep your family and your community safe and help uh, take a bite out of crime. The military's always been good at inventing punishments. I mean, peeling potatoes doesn't sound all that punishing, but peel 10,000 of them and see how you feel. We're having mashed potatoes! Of course, there were the physical punishments, various forms of exercises designed to correct the attitude of an errant troop through the time-honored method of screaming and making them do push-ups. But I was in a more genteel service. And... More civilized days. In the Air Force, punishments tended to be more psychological than physical, the denial of some privilege, or perhaps the assignment of some kind of extra duty as a way to impose the will of a superior on a mouthy and arrogant subordinate. And that's how I found myself wearing a fursuit, a ratty trench coat, and a giant dog head speaking to a classroom full of sixth graders. Like a little bitch! 
I don't remember exactly what my transgression was. I committed so many transgressions that they all just blur together. But the punishment, I remember that. For my sins, I was sentenced to three weeks of performing as McGruff the Crime Dog in the squadron's D.A.R.E. presentations. D.A.R.E. being Drug Abuse Resistance and Education Program. My job during these presentations was to wear a costume, which was an ass-smelling mangy fur mass of balding carpet, a wrinkled petal raincoat, and a huge McGruff head that smelled like cigarettes and stale beer, and not a little shame. And then when the D.A.R.E. instructor said specific lines, my job was to jump in and exhort the children to, uh... Take a bite out of crime. To which the children would apathetically pretend to agree so that they could get the entire thing over with as soon as possible. The kids and I saw eye to eye on this. We just wanted out of there sooner rather than later. My appearances as McGruff the Crime Dog marked the second lowest point in my military career, ranking just barely above right in a jungle shitter cleaning truck on Christmas Day as the sweat and stink of the costume was slightly less nauseating than the smell of that shitter truck. Thank you for your service. I'm moderately certain that my performance caused more crime than it ever prevented. If you're alive today and an American, you already know McGruff the Crime Dog. Indeed, you likely had some sad fucker in a McGruff costume implore you to narc on your local drug dealer or snitch on the dude who bought your older sibling's beer so that he could keep the change. Fucking narc! But if you're dead or one of the more than 7 billion people in this world not American, you might be asking... What the fuck is a McGruff the Crime Dog? To which I would reply, first of all, thanks for listening. Welcome to the podcast. And bro, you are so totally lost right now, aren't you? Let's put McGruff into context for our world listeners and for those of you who have better things to do than research 70s era advertising creations. By the late 1970s, America had a pretty big crime problem. It seemed the entire country was under siege by the criminal elements. Property crime skyrocketed and murder rates were truly horrifying. Serial killers stalked the land and the good God-fearing folks were afraid to walk the street at night. There were many theories as to what was wrong with America. Most of them revolved around people not going to church anymore and refusing to respect the flag. God bless you! God bless America! Also, many of the white people were pretty damn sure it had something to do with black people not knowing their place anymore. There were also just as many ideas about solutions to America's crime problem. Combating poverty. Strangely, no, that one didn't seem to come up in any of the meetings held by the government. No, rather than taking large sums of money and giving it to poor people, instead the government decided to take large sums of money and give it to the President's Commission on Law Enforcement Administration and Justice to, uh, quote, probe fully and deeply into the problems of crime in our nation, unquote. And after spending $2.5 million, about $20 million in today's money, the commission returned their report stating, Crime? Boy, I don't know. This, of course, seemed unhelpful. So various presidential administrations took various approaches to the problem over the years. Johnson thought that poverty was the problem, which, you know, it was, and thought that spending money on poor people was the solution, which it was. But then Dick Nixon came in and said, and the blacks and the hippies and the newspapers and the South Vietnamese and the veterans and, well, pretty much everyone really could go on for days. The short answer is that Nixon started what came to be called the War on Crime, which is just about as successful as the War in Vietnam or the War on Drugs. Carter came in and said, you know, crime, no big deal. Let's talk about nuclear weapons. But then Reagan came along and went right back to saying, fuck the poor. Jumping ahead, fuck fucking the poor has been pretty much our national policy on crime since, well, forever, really. Maybe FDR put a pause on it, but after him, they went right back to fucking poor people again. Of course, if you're president, you can't just come right out and say fuck the poor is your national strategy. 
Well, not until 2016 anyway, so some kind of lip service had to be paid to the problem of crime, and when it comes to looking like you're doing something and not really doing anything, who else can you turn to for genuine expertise but... Advertising it. And so it was in 1977, the Department of Justice, fresh out of ideas on how to fight crime in America, turned to the organization famous for such creations as... Bang, bang, bang! get that hungry feeling after school? Boy, I do. I'm so hungry, I could eat a wagon wheel. When I'm slow on the draw and I need something to chaw, I hanker for a hunk of cheese. When my ten-gallon hats are feeling five gallons flat, I got something planned, which is little cheese sandwiches. Come on! That's right, the most American of institutions, the Ad Council. Okay, technically the Ad Council had nothing to do with Time for Timers, but uh, if I get the chance to play a timer ad, I'm damn well going to take it and so should you. The Ad Council. There's a name that's more or less ubiquitous in American life. It was and is a nonprofit organization that creates and distributes public service announcements via advertising for various groups both in and out of the U.S. government. If the Ad Council sounds innocuous or even like a positive force, that's because in general it is in its current incarnation. But like most things American, it comes from a darker place. Like during the Cold War, the Ad Council was a little more than an unofficial propaganda arm of the United States government. Meet Joe, the king of the workers of the world. Hi, folks. Joe's the king because he can buy more with his wages than any other worker on the globe. And they cranked out cartoon payons to capitalism and on the evils of communism. But later, it would be responsible for some of the most famous ad campaigns in history for things like the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Or that crying Native American who was actually an Italian actor. Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And some people don't. People start pollution. People can stop it. Or hey, what about the crash test dummies? No, not those crash test dummies. Vince and Larry. You could learn a lot from a dummy. Buckle your safety belt. And the way the Ad Council did this was by getting big advertising companies to create campaigns for the public good. Now, for our crime problem, the government took a shitload of money, gave it to the Ad Council, and they kept some of that money and gave most of the rest to a Madison Avenue advertising agency called Danner, Fitzgerald, and Sample to see if they could come up with a solution to crime. And a lot of people were like, That seems odd. I mean, we trust you, of course. I mean, sure, we're talking about a company that owned the studio that made Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons, but I'm not sure if they have a solution to the massive problem of crime in America, but they said, let's give them a shot. I'm, of course, being entirely facetious. The government did not give Danner Fitzgerald huge sums of money to find a solution for the crime problem. That would be crazy. No, they asked him if they, they would do it for free, to which the ad company said, well, that isn't usually how we do things, but okay, sure, 
We'll give it a shot for America and put a couple of interns on the project. After a few weeks, the unpaid interns jotted down several ideas on a yellow legal pad and took it to the company exec who presumably had lost a golf bet and was in charge of this crazy free thing they were doing for the government. And that guy was named Jack Kyle. The idea the unpaid interns brought Jack Kyle was simple. What if there were some kind of dog? And Jack Kyle looked at this idea brought to him by workers he did not pay and said, Yes, and so far we're still not getting our money's worth. Clearly all that intern stuff was wild speculation on my part, so like in all things related to advertising, you really gotta take it with a grain of salt. This is from Kyle's 2017 obituary in the New York Times. He, quote, decided to try a catchy slogan delivered by an animal mascot, similar to Smokey the Bear, who reminds people to prevent forest fires. He told the Smithsonian Magazine in 1988 that he had considered an elephant, a deer, a cougar, before the catchphrase and the dog character coalesced in his mind during a trip back to New York from the West Coast. You can't crush crime or defeat it altogether, but you could snap at it, nibble at it, take a bite out of crime, he said. And the animal that takes a bite is a dog. Soon, McGruff the Crime Dog, a lanky hound dressed in a trench coat with weary eyes and stubble, was born. Mr. Kyle provided the voice, the raspy sound of a detective who had just finished long, sleepless stakeout. He wasn't vicious, not tremendously smart, maybe, but he was no wimp either, as Mr. Kyle said. He was a father figure, or possibly an uncle figure, unquote. Then they had to come up with a name, and a national contest was held to give him the name that we all know him by today, Crimey McCrimeface. Dave, come on. Now, of course, I'm kidding. It wasn't Crimey McCrimeface, which would have been a much better name for him. It was McGruff the Crime Dog, and it was imagined by some cop in New Orleans who was probably shit-faced at the time. Of course, the McGruff to note we know today did not just come as an epiphany out of the blue. There were other candidates before the incarnation we've all come to know and be bored by came to pass. According to McGruff's Wikipedia page, quote, after coming up with the slogan, take a bout out of crime, he, Kyle, settled upon the idea of a dog. His first version was a Snoopy lookalike wearing a Keystone cop hat. His creative team, however, did not believe the dog would be taken seriously. Huh. In response... He gave the team a day to come up with a new version. Five teams of two, a copywriter and an art director, produced proposals. The rejected proposals included a bulldog version of J. Edgar Hoover, a golden retriever, an aggressive-looking deputy dog, and a mongrel who became a wonder dog, unquote. Let's uh, take a second to look back at the possibility of the other options through a lens of hindsight, perhaps. The Snoopy lookalike had some real potential in my book, kind of like Snoopy's brother Spike from Needles, but with a heavy drinking problem and two divorces under his belt. Then there was the cross-dressing bulldog representing J. Edgar Hoover, which I think they should have ran with, just a cartoon bulldog in fishnet stockings and red high heels chasing criminals down the street. It's a fucking great idea! And a golden retriever. Look, golden retrievers are great. But they're not going to fight crime. They're way too happy for that. They just cheer on the criminals. Now, the deputy dog could have been interesting. Maybe they could model him on a, like a redneck sheriff who chases black folks out of town by before sundown. And of course, who doesn't love the Scooby-Doo knockoff with superpowers? All I'm saying is that any one of these characters, particularly the cross-dressing bulldog, would have been a lot more fun to portray to school kids as part of a punishment for mouthing off to my supervisors. 
Going back to Wikipedia, quote, the proposal Kyle selected, which would go on to become McGruff, was a talking dog in a trench coat. He was tired. He'd seen the world. He had epitomized all the detectives we've seen from Raymond Chandler to Dashiell Hammett, even Columbo, unquote. Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett. Because when I think of teaching children to fear strangers and snitch on their pot-smoking uncles, I definitely think of noir detectives with two slugs in them, one from a 38 and another from a bottle of bourbon. And Columbo? Okay, sure, Columbo, fine. That one, I really think, would have been great. Maybe the slogan could have been... Oh, sir. Just one more thing. Hell, they could have hired Peter Falk to voice the character and turn the PSAs into mini-episodes of Columbo, complete with guest stars like John Cassavetes or, hey... Can you imagine Roddy McDowell playing the neighborhood creeper trying to lure kids into his van? I know I can. Or Suzanne Plachette as a drunk driver who runs over a toddler. Oh, that really would have brought Hollywood into this thing. And then we would have had something. And if they'd done that, perhaps McGruff might have been enthusiastically received. Again from Wikipedia, quote, While lauded by Kyle, the U.S. Justice Department was less enthused by the idea of a talking dog as the spokesman for crime prevention. By 1979, the Law Enforcement Assistance Administration, the LEAA, created by President Johnson, was being criticized for its wastefulness, prompting President Carter to shut down the program. The public safety outreach part of the LEAA was one of the few programs saved. The guy who was dismantling it saw the value of public outreach efforts and sent monthly reports to superiors in order to assuage their concerns. Despite this, Attorney General Benjamin Civiletti criticized the effort, saying, Why has the LEAA gotten into a campaign that's spending good money on a talking dog? Civiletti ordered the campaign to be shut down, but the advertisements had already been distributed to the media and were set to run. In November of 1979, the dog was introduced at a press conference in New York City with his slogan, Take a Bite Out of Crime. Eight months later, in July of 1980, a nationwide contest to name the dog was concluded. McGruff the Crime Dog was selected as the winner, with Sherlock Holmes as the runner-up. The winning name was submitted by none other than Officer John Isbell of the New Orleans Police Department. Unquote. Yeah, definitely drunk when he thought it up. Sherlock Holmes? Doesn't even make sense. Either way, people liked McGruff, at least at the beginning, because, you know, in the 80s, we loved a fucking mascot. See episode 315. After the first ad runs imploring people to write to an address in Rockville, Maryland for their free brochure, 300,000 of them did. And McGruff would grow on to produce spots on all kinds of crime prevention. From simple stuff like locking your house when you left home to preventing stranger abductions and, of course, drug awareness. McGruff commercials told Americans to fear criminals and trust no one for decades. Hell, even into today. A study of brand recognition found that in 1988 that 99% of kids recognized McGruff, as did 79% of adults. And that, my friends, is cigarette-smoking camel-level brand awareness. Of course, as the 1980s progressed and the rapid fear of crime became a real lead on the nightly news, McGruff needed to address the darker themes of the time. The response, of course, why not send the kids to a McGruff house? 
Again, from Wikipedia, quote, a designated temporary safe haven for children in emergency situations. The program was first created in Utah in 1982 in response to the abduction and murder of five children by Arthur Gary Bishop. Owners of houses and apartments, after clearing background checks, would display a sign in their window with the image of McGruff, and children would be educated at school and community events to go to these houses when they felt threatened or in need of help. Background checks, huh? Like, you know, the ones we give to guys who shoot up a before they acquire their legally purchased AR-15. A utility company asked that its trucks be designated as rolling McGruff houses, and they were approved. Because, sure, no kid was ever pulled into the back of a fucking Con Edison truck and fucking raped and murdered. The program was extended to other companies and municipalities, and in 2006, there were over 170 participants. In February of 2012, however, the McGruff House program was ended after nearly 30 years. The program was ended because with the ad growing advent of, and prominence of cell phones, the need for McGruff houses declined, and that was combined with tightening budgets, unquote. Now, along with the television performances, a live-action McGruff was also incorporated into the campaign. And that's why I was punished by wearing a McGruff suit. A cop would don the McGruff costume and make appearances at community events or schools, handing out flyers or dispensing hugs to toddlers who thought McGruff a world-weary canine detective who had seen too much and was definitely too old for this shit, was just some kind of police Mickey Mouse or something. Long before I became a cop, I hardly rolled my eyes at the character, and since McGruff invariably appeared at events where our police dogs were also present, one of the interesting facts of his presence is that our dogs fucking hated McGruff. It wasn't something we trained or taught them, they just decided... I don't know, there's just something about him. Something around the house. I don't know. Reminds me of... me. No, I'm sure of it. I hate him. And they would lunge, bark, and try to bite him whenever he came around. It was probably because the suit that we used to train the dogs for bite work looked a lot like a McGruff costume. And anyone in that costume learned real quick to cut a wide berth around the police dogs to avoid the tears of children and the blood loss of whoever was in the McGruff suit after he was savagely attacked by Officer Woofie. Today, McGruff is more or less a cultural cliche, and it's the fate for most well-intentioned, cloyingly crafted do-gooder projects to wind up in insurance commercials. Great, another dead end. Sarge, I just got a tip that'll crack this case wide open. Turns out the prince at the crime oh, scene- did McGruffy Wuffy get a tippy whippy? I'm serious, we gotta move fast Who's before- Who's a good boy? Is him a good boy? I'm just gonna go. Oh, you won't go outside? You gotta go tinky poo poo? <sighs> I already went, okay? In the bathroom. As long as people talk baby talk to dogs, you can count on Geico saving folks money. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Or referenced on The Simpsons. Mom, I know your intentions are good, but aren't the police a protective force that maintains the status quo for the wealthy elites? Don't you think we ought to attack the roots of social problems instead of jamming people into overcrowded prisons? Look, Lisa, it's McGriff, the crime dog. Hello, Lisa, help me bite crime. Ruff, ruff. You know, the sort of fate that's reserved for pretty much all creations of the 1970s and 80s. It's either The Simpsons or Family Guy. And it's not to say that McGruff's days are behind us. 
The campaign continues as McGruff has evolved somewhat to address modern crimes. Instead of stranger danger, McGruff might warn you about how to protect yourself online from identity theft or to avoid online predators. And of course, McGruff isn't voiced by Jack Kyle anymore. He'd long since retired. Various other actors had played the role since Kyle's early work, including, according to CBS News, quote, John Morales an actor who played the crime-fighting cartoon character McGruff the Crime Dog and was sentenced to 16 years in prison, stemming from a 2011 arrest in which the police seized 1,000 marijuana plants, 27 weapons, including a grenade launcher, and over 9,000 rounds of ammunition from his house, unquote. Wow, I'm kind of wondering if John Morales is one who's in one of those classes where I was forced to wear that McGruff suit. Obviously, McGruff was well-intentioned, and the awareness campaign was actually pretty benign. It avoided racist tropes about crime and focused on simple common sense ideas to protect yourself and reduce your risk of being a victim. Like, you know, not being a truck stop sex worker. They probably never aired the commercial where McGruff talked to the working women along I-40, but they should have. I mean, McGruff was nowhere near as objectionable as the other big ideas they had at the time, which was like the mass incarcerations of millions of black men for nonviolent drug offenses and consigning teenagers to die in prison for crimes they committed as juveniles. So all things considered, McGruff was probably the lesser of two evils. And crime did fall steadily from their peak in the early 1980s, shortly after the McGruff ads debuted. McGruff probably had less to do with the fall than, say, I don't know, the removal of lead from the atmosphere. And no one is exactly sure why crime declined. A lot of questionable tactics want to take credit for it, from broken windows policing to, yes, mass incarceration. But none of them can back it up. But in America, that never stopped anyone from claiming their idea was the one that fixed it. Hell, for all we know, maybe it was McGruff that America t that made America turn around and take one look at criminals and say, you know what? Crime, boy, I don't know, is when I decided to kick your ass. All I know is I hated wearing that fucking costume, and that senior NCO that forced me to do it can take a bite out of my ass. That is it for our show this week. Oh, so many great memories of helping all the kids learn about fighting crime from inside that giant fucking dog head. And me with a massive fucking hangover because if I was going to spend the day with kids, I was damn sure going to get loaded the night before, the night after, and I was probably drunk while I was inside the fucking school. Sounds like something I'd do. Speaking of setting a bad example, rate and review this show wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others find the show, listen to us, and realize how bad of an example your behavior was. All of my questionable judgments are on the social at the hell underscore podcast on Twitter and the show name on Facebook. You can track every bad decision I've ever made at whatthehellpodcast.com and kick us a buck or two to support future bad decisions at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. We are a proud member of the Seltzer Kings podcast network who wants you to know that McGruff really touched them as a child. Or maybe that was just the guy wearing a McGruff suit. So for me, Dave... Only you can prevent forest fires, Bledsoe. Producer, the toughest job I will ever love. Out now you'll just be needlessly cruel. Gavin and all the fictional friends who don't let friends drive drunk on this show, we want to say, hey, open up your eyes and listen to me. Alcohol fills your world with lies. Listen to McGruff. He's got a crippling drinking problem that's almost got him booted off the force and cost him two marriages. 
We'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.